on digital radio across the UK, online and in your ears right now. Welcome to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. I'm Jeff Lloyd and once a fortnight, has it really been a fortnight since the last one, I take a famous British person travelling through time to the place they grew up somewhere on this sceptred isle, or these sceptred isles, if you include the Isle of Man and Northern Ireland and the Isle of Wight and the Hebrides. In fact, we've not really interviewed anybody who wasn't born on the mainland, so um, we don't need to get bogged down in that right now. And I'll be honest, I don't actually take them travelling. We do it using Google Maps, which is glorious, because I don't have to leave the studio. I say it's glorious, just want to point out we're not sponsored by Google. It just uh, It's just a nice thing, thing to say, glorious Google. But if Google do want to buy me personally for a huge sum of money, then let's talk. Before I introduce my esteemed guest, just a quick reminder that Union Jack Radio is the radio station you hadn't even realised that you've been missing your whole life. It plays the best of British music from the past 60 years and also classic comedy as well, Blackadder, Faulty Towers, that sort of thing. You can listen on National DAB, on the app, on the website, all the usual places, really. I'm delighted to say that Sky One is the new sponsor of Hometown Glory. It's right up our street. You know, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, you'll be particularly impressed, I think, with the skill in which I tied our sponsor into the message of our show there by using the phrase right up our street. Um, I genuinely couldn't be any more thrilled to have Sky One on board. They are, of course, the place for homegrown British comedy, drama and entertainment alongside the most popular shows from the United States. Stuff like Modern Family, which has won so many Emmys at this point that they must have to employ someone just to polish the awards. And if you haven't seen it yet, it is one of the best ensemble casts on television and one of the funniest sitcoms of the past decade. You've got to dive in. You can watch this and all of Sky One's other great shows by going to unionjack.co.uk where you can win SkyQ free for a year. Right, time to get into it. Now, I'm not meant to pick favourites, but this week she is an absolute star and a delight and fascinating. Known as the governess in the chase, it is one of the brightest quiz minds in the world, Anne Hegarty. Wood Green, London. Its name originates from the Saxon woodleer, which means um, a green clearing in the woods. Wood green. Uh, Wood green took on a new significance in the 1930s when its Alexandra Palace became home to the new BBC television service, the first public television broadcaster in the world. Hello, Radio Olympia. This is direct television from the studios of the Alexandra Palace. And even more significantly, the bus depot in Wood Green was the one featured in the classic sitcom On the Buses. 
So that was a little clip of On the Buses, but what I really wanted was to hear Blakey saying, I ate you, butler, get on that bus. But unfortunately, we couldn't find one on YouTube, so I've asked Giles, our producer, to do an impersonation of Blakey saying, I ate you, butler, get on that bus. I just want to point out, up until five minutes ago, he'd never seen On the Buses. (coughs) I ate you, butler, get on that bus. There you go, Jeff. Hope you're happy. And the rich seam of entertainment in Wood Green runs deep. It was the childhood home of my guest today, Anne Hegarty. Anne is a two-time brain of Britain. She also hosts Britain's brightest family on ITV, but you'll know her best as the governess from The Chase. The duckbill platypus, which lays eggs and produces milk and is therefore the only animal that can make its own custard. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and with the help of an iPad and Google Maps, I'm about to take Anne Hegarty time-travelling to the streets where she grew up in Union Jack's hometown glory. Anne Hegarty, hello. Hello, lovely to be here. Thanks for coming on this and taking us on this virtual tour. Am I right in thinking it begins in Wood Green? It does, yes. Well, that's where we moved to when I was three. So where where were you actually Um, born then? I was born in Westminster Hospital. Okay. Um, My parents were living in Frognall at the time in Hampstead. Goodness knows how. Now that's a fancy area. They never had any money. Right. Um, When I was a week old, they got evicted for not paying rent, which doesn't surprise me. Um, And then we went to live with my grandmother in Winchmore Hill until I was nine years old. Nine years old? Nine months old. Then from the age of nine months to the age of three, we lived in a flat um, in Eversley Park Road, which is quite near Winchmore Hill. Um, and and is, do you have a memory of being there? What's your earliest memory? I do. We left there the summer I turned three, but I do remember, I remember that the carpet was green because I used to pretend it was grass. And I and you remember, are sure you weren't just living in the park and your parents weren't telling no, you? No, no, no. Well, yes, we, I, 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 we did get to, I did get taken to the park quite a lot as well. So yes, no, I did remember the difference. And I remember that there was an open fireplace because um, I can remember sitting on the sofa beside um, the open fire. Right. Uh, my mother said that... Um, um, she thought my oldest memory ought to be of me making scones, which uh, apparently we did around about the same time. I have no recollection of making scones. I'll have to believe her. And you came out there, of course, firmly on the side of pronouncing it scones rather than scones. Oh, I'm not bothered. I mean, it's just it's just correct to say scones, basically. <laughs> um, I don't actually have an opinion. I think I just do say scones. No, no opinion on whether to, to <clears throat> put the jam on first or the cream on first? Uh, oh, jam goes on first yes. because you can't spread cream. Yeah, you're silly. right. Only no. a savage mm-hmm. would do. That, if man. you spread the cream, then then you have to sort of dollop the jam, which is just no, no, no absolutely it's, it's not. wrong. Yes, good. I'm glad we're agreed on that. Mm. I don't know we would have been able to uh, continue with the interview otherwise. <laughs> so uh, at three, you, you what's the what's the street you moved to then? We moved to Norfolk Avenue, Norfolk we, Avenue, Norfolk Avenue, which is kind of on the border between Palmer's Green and Wood Green. In fact, the boundary between the borough of Harringay and the borough of Enfield is about sort of um, ten houses up the hill from where we lived. Uh, so keep going. So uh, here we are. Do we... Yeah, keep, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. That's Norfolk Park where we used to play. Okay. Keep going, though. Yeah, You're yeah. Keep, keep round going. the bend? Yeah, round the bend, down the hill. Yes, it's about there. Try, it's number 102. So let's have a look. Are we, are we on, on that side of the road? No, we're on the other, oh, si- other, other side, side, other side. Yes, I think it might well be that one. 
Okay. With the, the um, with the grass going up. So yeah, um, this this is this is a nice sort of suburban semi. Yeah, it's okay. I think it was my um, grandfather on my mother's side who lent them enough money um, for the mortgage. I come from a cross class marriage. Um, my mum's family are Scots and posh. Uh, my dad's family are sort of East End working class made good. Um, except that my dad never had any work ethic whatsoever um, <laughs> so where, where did they meet each other then your mum and dad uh, they met at a party in Hampstead thrown by a bloke called George Hay uh, so it's all his fault really um, I, I swear this is absolutely true in 1983 when I was working in South Wales um, I was reporting on um, a meeting of the local council, Blind Gwent Council, uh, and there was a lull in the proceedings and I got talking to the other girl on the, the press bench who was from the Gwent Gazette and I found out that um, her mum was actually living with George Hay. So that struck me as a very bizarre coincidence. That is a weird coincidence. That is a weird coincidence. And, and were the posh Scots happy with your, with your mother's choice of spouse? No. Um, I don't think they had a problem with the family. They had a problem with dad because, as I say, uh, absolutely no work ethic. Glassback is a um, word they used to use. So Sorry? Glassback. What's that? It's a, it's a word they used to use for bone idle people. Yeah, um, I think he is. Right. Um, or, well, was, because he died last September. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, um... He, I got on well with him because the thing is, he was such a pain in so many ways, but he was the only person who told me I could do things. He was everybody else. Uh, my mother had had very, she'd been put under a lot of pressure by her own parents. Um, you know, you, you must study hard, you must go to university because her parents had met at university. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, you got to do all these things. And so she was always someone who, tried so hard not to put pressure on her children that she was actually sort of discouraging us from doing anything. Right. Uh, she'd say to me, oh, I do hope they abolish the 11 plus before you have to take it. And, oh, I do hope, you know, you never have to go to a school with an entrance exam. And I was like, you know, I actually might sort of quite enjoy that and I might even be quite good at it. But my dad was the one who would say to me, you can do this. You can, you can do this. You can be this. I'm sure that you will one day accomplish something. And I remember when Star Wars came out, uh, Christmas 77, mm -hmm. um, and I went to see it. And then I wrote a review of it for the uh, Edinburgh University newspaper and got published. Um, and I sent a copy to my dad and he wrote back saying, you know, if I've never accomplished anything else, at least I fathered you. So, uh, wow. which was, yes. So it was a good review? It was a good, it was a good was. review? So, yes. I mean, he was the sort of person who would say that. And that's yeah. why nobody could ever understand why, why do you get on well with him? He's a perfectly dreadful person. Because he's the person who tells me these things, and nobody else ever says this stuff to me. So he must have been thrilled to see your success over you oh, know, the was. last few years of he, his life. He really, really was. Uh, and I wish I'd had time. I wish I'd had more time to spend with him, uh, and he would have liked that. And it was just over the last few years, in particular, it's just ramped up so hard that I just haven't had a moment. So he would have been um, so proud just seeing he, that. He was. He used to go out to um, there. There was. Um, some charity we used to come and take him out for tea and, and he would be boasting about me all the time. <laughs> so he was absolutely delighted. Although I think he would have preferred it if I'd been on Eggheads because um, he likes the chase because I'm on it, but he absolutely adored Eggheads. Right, right. Um, he used to, he used to um, his entire afternoon schedule was based on going to sleep, 
sleep and waking up in time for eggheads. So, so the house then we're looking at. Um, which where was your bedroom? What was the setup? Was uh, it just uh, you, your mum, and your dad? Uh, no, me, my mum, and my dad, and um, my uh, brother. Um, you can see a little garage at the back. Mm. Um, that's based on the site of the original garage that I think was actually built by my father and his friend. That does um, some work ethic, and the man built a garage. Well, yeah, he was the sort of bloke who wanted a shed. Right. Um, he, he was a man who needed a shed. Yeah, basically, my father gave the impression that all he really wanted in life was just to be left alone. Yeah, I think um, that's not uncommon for that generation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the garage was sort of basically made of, of, of fibreboard and asbestos and <laughs> corrugated iron, and uh, I don't know how we're all still alive. Yeah. The the uh, downstairs um, window, that's the front room, which had a variety of uses. Um, uh, when I was a child, we used to rent it out to lodgers. Uh-huh. Um, so that's actually how we got our telly. Um in 1962, we had a West Indian lodger who arrived um, with the telly to um, watch the test matches on and invite his mates around. And when he left, we somehow prevailed upon him to leave the telly. I don't really want to think about how we might have done that. Um, <laughs> Best left <laughs> but, in history, uh, yes, though. Yes, <laughs> it is. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. With Sky One, bringing you the best comedy, drama and entertainment from the UK and US. We'll raise our teacups to that. What do you remember about your brother coming along? Um, it, that actually was quite a memorable morning, I must say, and because my mum had planned that she was going to have the baby at home. She knew that he was due to arrive on August the 11th, so the plan was that um, little Anne was going to be sent to stay with her grandmother, I think, something like that. Mum would move into my room, where um, it was a single bed, which was quite sort of high and easier for the midwife to get round, and uh, that would all work. Uh, and then the baby decided to arrive on August the 1st. And the first I knew of it was like six o'clock in the morning. My dad crashes into the room and sort of literally yanks me out of the bed, <laughs> drags me downstairs and throws me into the living room. I'm like, OK, I have no idea what just happened there. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm sort of um, in the living room, sort of crying and yelling and wanting to know what's going on. Um, and I think it's about two hours later that somebody... I, I remember just being terribly cross because I had been, you know, dragged out of my, out of my bed and, and dumped in this room and I had, <laughs> I had no cat in the hat books and I had, didn't have a potty. Um, I mean, I was five years old, I didn't need a potty, but I liked my potty. It's nice it was, to have an option. It's it's good to have an yes. option. Yes, it was consoling. I can remember um, <laughs> once at the age of about four, I remember sitting on the potty um, and um, looking through a picture book and eating an apple and thinking, this is the good life. Life I, never got I better than that. I have cracked it. This, <laughs> this is how life should be. My recollection is of being completely astonished by this baby. Um, I don't... Actually, everyone had explained it to me over and over again. They'd gone to lots of trouble. Um, my grandmother had given me a hamster um, for my birthday, which is... Did you get to choose the name? Of the, the hamster? Yes. Yeah, um, originally I wanted to call it, originally I called it Monty mm-hmm. because I thought it was a mouse and I just felt that animals should have alliterative names. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a few weeks later it dawned on me that it was not a mouse, it was a hamster and I'd given it entirely the wrong name. <laughs> so I remember crashing into my parents' bedroom very early in the morning demanding that they provide me with a name for the hamster. Um, <laughs> so uh, my, my father suggested Horatio and I, I thought, you're not taking this seriously, Dad. <laughs> um, and eventually it ended up being called, uh, being called Henry. But I didn't want to let Monty 
Monty go? So it ended up being called Henry Mont. Henry Monty. So yeah, Henry yeah. Mont. Just good, Henry good, Mont. Good, good for them to have a middle name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Did you, both your parents have jobs? Uh, my mother was a social worker. Because I, I often ask people what the fringe benefits were for them as children uh, of the parents' jobs. So, for example, my dad was a postman, mm-hmm. so I would get a lot of elastic bands and rides in post yes. office vans. Um, and, and my mum was a nurse and she would bring home the, the, the rolls from the ECG machines and I would mm-hmm. get to colour in people's um, heart e- ECG monitor records. But I can't yeah, imagine... social workers don't really bring much home no. with them. You know, the occasional, Stress. The occasional kid in care. Right. Um, but, uh, no, I think what my mother would really have loved to be is a history teacher. And what about your dad? What did your dad do for a living? Well, basically, he was a carpet fitter. And when there weren't enough carpets to fit, he would drive a minicab. But Just before you even started telling me this, I thought this is a man who does a few. You know, he's he maybe got a, a, a job that he does, but he's got, he's got a few different things on the side. Oh, every uh, I. <sighs> I can remember going to my parents' bedroom and there would be trays of little pot plants on on the bed. I have no idea. I mean, I think they were just potted plants. I don't think they were actual, you know, pot plants, although I really wouldn't rule it out. Um, I I have no idea what that was about. And then next week, he invented um, a kind of moisturiser, which... um, This is incredible. Which uh, He never... He had no idea about marketing, so he never... And I don't think we left the recipe behind anywhere. Um, But it was, um, he used to call it Nuthigoo. The reason being, um, his name was Kenneth. Uh, and he's, <laughs> most people called him Ken. Um, but I think as a child, he wanted a more original um, short version. So he called himself Nuthi. Um, so it was goo made by Nuthi. Um, and we used to go around the house singing, Nuthi goo is good for you. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was kind of like very runny Vaseline. It was more 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 like Lucas's pawpaw ointment than anything. Actually, it was pretty good stuff. I mean, I wish I did have the recipe because it was really quite a good moisture. But he had no idea how to sell anything, how to market <laughs> what anything. What led him to these? He's a carpet fitter, sometimes cab driver. He's selling these pot plants and he thinks, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to mix myself up some moisturiser. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, he also, he used to make wine. He used to make wine out of orange peel. He used to... <laughs> Sometimes he would dry the orange peel and then that became known as dop and that was the white wine. And sometimes he would roast the orange peel in the oven and that was called rop and that was sort of more like red wine. And sometimes he left it in too long and then we had bop, which was burnt orange peel. Um, but uh, yeah, he did. Oh, he did that many things. I mean, I, I was always, I was never quite sure what to say when people said, "What does your dad do?" Right. I was sort of like, "What this week? <laughs> Last week? <laughs> Next week?" He wasn't sort of terribly good. I do remember uh, he used to hit his thumb a lot. I'd, I'd, I'd come running into when my mum was was pouring out tea for nice, respectable ladies. Mummy, mummy, daddy just said ship. What does ship mean? Why does he say ship when he hits his thumb with hammer? <laughs> Go away, dear. <laughs> do you remember music being on around a lot when you were a kid? Yeah, um, I do remember the radio being played a lot um, and um, wondering why people were addressing each other as baby when they clearly were not babies. <laughs> this, this mystified me. These were adults with adult voices singing about babies. And I got very worried by Harry Belafonte singing My Heart Is Down, My Head Is Turning Around. I had to leave a little girl alone in Kingston Town. And I thought, well, I'm a little girl and I would hate being left alone <laughs> in some city because 
Daddy had disappeared off on a boat somewhere. <laughs> so I, I remember being deeply disconcerted by that one. Um, I must say, probably my favourite music is 60s music, but that's not really why. It's just, objectively, that's the sort of music... Uh, 50s and 60s music tends to be my favourite. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. With Sky One, bringing you action-packed drama. We're ready. We've clenched everything. Let's uh, let's talk about your first school. So you go mm-hmm. to primary school, age five? Uh, yes, that was... Um... Tottenhall Road Infant School. There were well, there were two schools next to each other. The infant school was the one I went to, and then after two years, you moved into the one next door, which was St Michael's. Um, and what do you remember? Do you remember your first day at school? Yeah, I seem to remember being locked in the loo by um, some bigger girls. I was very much the sort of child um, that gets picked on because um, I was a weird little kid. I mean, they didn't. Nobody knew in those days what Asperger syndrome was, uh, but it was just you know how kids have this instinct weird kid target the weird kid yeah anything um, slightly different is, so, is something yeah, to be targeted yeah. yeah um so i didn't mind tottenhall the, the headmistress was called miss gardner and she was quite nice um i really didn't like st michael's um i've recently been contacted on facebook by um people that i was at primary school with and found out that none of them liked it and in fact um one of my friends from that time, Claire Harris, says the thing is that um, it was actually run by sadists and we, we feel that we are the St Michael's Survivors Group. Right. And I'm sort of like, I don't know if I can put my finger on exactly how they were sadistic. I think the problem I had a lot, uh, and I know exactly how this is going to sound and I don't care, um, so often I was smarter than the teachers or I knew more. I'd read a lot by that time. Like I say, one of my grandfathers was a publisher. The house was full of books. They set up a uh, a sort of little booth that was to be staffed by a couple of the kids armed with encyclopedias and things. And um, this was a place where you could come and you could ask questions and have your questions answered. So I was like, oh, goody. Uh, and I went up to them and said, could you tell me what the word mitigate means? And they asked the teacher. And the teacher came over and he said, what did you just ask? I want to know the meaning of the word mitigate. There's no such word as mitigate. I was like, yes, there is. I've read it. Where did you read it? I read it in The Merchant of Venice. It's three lines from the end of um, the Quality of Mercy speech. I have said thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea, which if thou follow this strict court of Venice must needs give um, something, sentence, give this, give sentence against the merchant here. Uh, You've never seen a woman look so furious. I mean, she really just did not want to hear that from a nine-year-old kid. (laughs) So she she went off and and then came back and, and shoved a bit of paper into my hand and I opened it and it said mitigate make less severe it's like fine that's all I wanted that's, but the way it was grudgingly yes. given to you yes. we, we've developed a theory uh, and it, it tends to be if you went to school in the 60s or the early 70s there seemed to be a lot of teachers who actively dislike children and it's about kind of keeping them in their place and, and what I do remember noticing was a tremendous turnover of teachers I mean we'd have like a teacher for a, a couple of weeks and then they'd vanish and be replaced by someone else I mean I don't know there was some bodies in the basement or something but I, th- I think probably what it was was just simply they were student teachers but they just did seem to you know there was no continuity so you, you've had this odd life where you've ended up as a, a, a public figure on the television and you, and you do panto and so on did was there any inkling if i'd met you age seven would i have any inkling did you have any tendencies towards school plays and performance and, and... i'll let you into a terrible horrible little secret of mine 
I always wanted to be famous. You did. It's dreadful, but I, I really, I, I realised it's something I always did want. Um, and uh, I always thought, you know, I'm going to be a film star. I'm going to be a famous singer. And w- would you appear um, in school plays? Yeah. Um, the first school play I was in, oh, I was five years old and I was a holly fairy. I stomped on stage and promptly went straight down to the front and started calling, started shouting at my mother. Um, you know, wanting it. Well, I maintain this is absolutely true. <laughs> I maintain I was attempting to sort of explore the the boundary between the stage and the audience because this always struck me as how on earth, you know, how are there these people walking around on stage being tremendously naturalistic and not one of them says, "Good heavens, the fourth the fourth wall has disappeared and there's <laughs> two hundred people sitting in our living room. Why does nobody ever notice this?" I thought this is absolutely. I've been to sea plays. I thought, no, this is ridiculous. I mean, you've got to at least acknowledge there's an audience out there. So uh, I thought, no, come on. I, I at least want to talk to my mother. Um, so uh, no, I was in trouble for that. It's a bit um, of experimental theatre, aged five, breaking yeah, the fourth wall. Exactly yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. But then, yeah. um, uh, and then the next year we did. The Wizard of Oz, and I was the Scarecrow. I mean, that, that's just, the best role, I think. I mean, hmm. people talk about Dorothy, but I think the Scarecrow is the best Scarecrow role. Scarecrow is, yeah. is absolutely brilliant. And yeah. last year, when we did Let's Sing and Dance for Comic Relief, um, when um, we first realised that was what we wanted to do, we were kind of saying, well, who's going to be who? And I was like, well, I played the Scarecrow when I was nine years old, so I've already played the Scarecrow. Can I play the Scarecrow again? I know how it goes and everything. And did they let um, you? Yeah, so that's why I was the Scarecrow. And uh, Jenny was Dorothy because she's the singer. Out of the out of the um, the chasers, mm-hmm. um, and um, Mark was the cowardly lion. Right, you can just imagine how cool he'd be as a cowardly lion. And Sean was the Tin Man, uh, and we would love to have had Paul along, but um, he wasn't able to make any of the rehearsals. Oh, he would have been a great so. Toto. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack, a trip down memory lane with Britain's best loved comedians with Sky One, bringing you homegrown. British comedy, drama and entertainment. Ding dong. So outside of school then, um, like these days, parents feel this responsibility to fill their children's weekends with activities and mm. soft play and cultural attractions. Uh, how, how does that compare to the way your parents were? Yeah, my mother tried to sort of, you know, find out what sort of things I might be interested in. I did brownies a bit. Um, I was... I wasn't a proper brownie. Um, I was what was called a tweeny um, because I could never actually pass the entrance test. You had to be able to swim. And I didn't learn to swim until I was about 12 years old. All the other, um, all my cousins could swim sort of practically from when they were babies. And I'm not quite sure why I didn't. There is a story that my father threw me into a flooded gravel pit when I was about 18 months old and I sank. Um, And um, he was always trying to get me to learn to swim. Um, and somehow I just couldn't quite hack it until eventually my mother paid for me to have proper lessons. And then I did get the hang of it. I, I do love swimming. Where I was love... your local swimming baths? Um, I used to take myself to Southgate Baths. Southgate Baths wasn't far from where my, my grandmother lived in Winchmore Hill, so sometimes she'd take us there. So this is your grandmother on your yeah. mother's uh, oh, side? No, on my dad's on side. On your dad's side. Gran Hegarty. She was, um, the, there were seven of us cousins. Um, and... Do you think you were the favourite? No. Um <laughs> 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 the favourite was my older... Um, I was the second of the seven cousins. The oldest was my cousin Libby. Um, and, yeah, Libby was the favourite because Libby was everyone's favourite. I have to say, Libby was my favourite too. 
I mean, I much preferred that side of the family because I really didn't get on with my mother's parents at all. But, uh, yeah, there were clearly some demons there. I now think that Gran, I think she was a depressive. Their youngest sister, my Aunt Doreen, I have to say she was my favourite aunt, um, but she was a bit of a walking car crash. Essentially, she was a drug addict. Right. Uh, she was addicted to prescription drugs. Right. Uh, I think she'd inherited Gran's depression. She made several attempts at suicide. Oh. And she, my um, cousins, Libby, Tricia, and, and David, her kids, spent a lot of time living with my grandmother. Right. So when I'd go over to see Gran, you know, they were there to play with, which and, was excellent. And I guess um, sort of the detail of it was something you didn't find out until many, many years Yes, later. I'd yeah. always been told. I, she died when I was 40, when she was 42 and I was duh, 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 17. Right. And it was not very long before Christmas 75. And my grandfather rang the house uh, and told my mother what had happened. And he rang back a few minutes later and said, um, Mum wants you to know she didn't do it herself. Uh, meaning this was it was not suicide. Yeah. It was actually the result of um, a car accident she'd been in. She'd been in some sort of road accident where she'd somehow managed to fall off a motorbike. Um, and she developed a blood clot that uh, that went to her lungs or something. And it was literally only a couple of years ago that I, my cousin Tricia is now living in Australia. And when I first went out there to do the Chase Australia, um, I met up with her. And she told me, um, you didn't get the whole story there. What actually happened was, um, yes, she was in hospital for the injuries from the car crash. Uh, but, you know, they weren't concerned about it. She was fine, except that she somehow managed to get hold of some drugs oh. and took them just as they were about to take her into theatre. Um, and she died under the anaesthetic right. because she just had too many drugs in her blood. Stream. Oh, God, how um, terrible. So, yes, it was. And, and uh, Trisha was saying, you see, a drug addict just doesn't care about anything more than the drugs. You know, yeah, even yeah. though she had these three kids who, you know, missed her dreadfully, yeah. um, the drugs were more important than anything. So but as sad. I say, she was still my favourite aunt. I can't help that. We talked about... Um School and been sort of primary school certainly being a little bit miserable for you. Mm. Did you have friends? Who was your best friend at primary school? I didn't really. Um, I didn't. I didn't really want them. I because you had you had in books. I, yeah, no, I mean, no I disrespect couldn't... to your fellow primary school children, but how can they be as interesting as these well, yes, great I, I creations of fiction? I couldn't really see the point of friends. And I can remember um, one little girl saying, "You know, will you be my friend?" And me saying, "Um, no, actually, you know, no, I don't think I will." I never wanted anything more than to just be left alone. Yeah, yeah. And one reason I've always had difficulty relating to women is this tendency they have to sort of want to be, um, you know know, very close and chatty and friendly. And I'm, I, I always get on much better with men um, because I completely understand their need to disappear into their man cave. I'm like, yes, I need to do that too. You know, let's just go off into our man caves and we'll, <laughs> we'll text each other occasionally. Also, I mean, being autistic, I didn't really understand how to make friends. Yeah. I couldn't... It has taken but this me... wasn't something at the time you did, you know, there wasn't a diagnosis No, no, no. Autism. In those days, they only thought you were autistic if you were, you know, absolutely silent and non-verbal and just sat in the corner rocking all the time. Yeah. They had no idea that 
that you could be um, autistic and kind of functional. Yeah. This wasn't an idea that people came up with until the 1990s. So you can absolutely understand how everybody missed it. So were you sort of cognizant of, of, of being different in, the, in a way that you couldn't quite yes, put your finger on? Yes, absolutely. Very, very much so. And, and from an early age. Um, when, I was, when I was about five, uh, five or six, um, I used to go once a week to um, a house where I would sometimes play in the garden. Um, and there were, all, there were always grown-ups there to play with me and chat to me. And I'd go and play in the garden um, and we'd, we'd have a little primer stove and we'd cook pancakes on it and I'd go and explore. And sometimes I'd just sit down and play with toys and, and I'd um, draw pictures. Um, I had absolutely no idea that these were child psychiatrists. Um, right. I was actually... It was a, a child guidance centre that I was being sent to because, you know, my mother wanted to know, why is my kid weird? Libby, my cousin and I had had become um, very intense pen pals. After a year at her secondary school, um, they she was sent to Berkhamsted Boarding School for Girls. And I said to my mother, you know, can I do that? It doesn't have to be at the same school, but, uh, you know, can I? Because I was sort of, I was reading Bunty magazine. I was like, Wouldn't it be cool to go to boarding school? It's like, a, it's like an Enid Blyton story. Uh, and my mother thought, you know what? Actually, that really might be a good idea. The boarding school I went to was called Sherrodswood, mm-hmm. and it was in Welling Garden City. Uh, and I was there from the age of 13 to the age of 18. And, and um, was it that sort of Bunty, Jolly Hockey Sticks? A little it? bit. Yeah. A little bit like that. I always said that uh, on the outside it was rather like a Jennings book, but the sort of interior concept that you had of it was much more like Molesworth. I mean, one felt like Molesworth. The other thing I absolutely loved about it after the initial shock was um, discovering at the end of the first month that every month they published grades. They published everyone's grades in every subject. Um, And... um, I, and I and I looked at the board. I was at the bottom of the class in everything because I hadn't been doing any work because I had absolutely no idea what people expected of me. So I thought, right, well, I'm not having this. I mean, I you know I have been here for a month and I have heard people in French lessons saying that they thought that the French for cowboy was presumably vache garçon. I thought, well, I know better than that. <laughs> so I'm not going to get beaten by these people. Yeah. So I got my head down and started working. And by the end of the year, I was topping grades. Is that right? And I was there for another four years. Oh. Oh, um, did that, so you, like, stayed, you stayed at the top for four years. Yeah, and I, I just I I loved the the fact that it was so competitive. Right. Um, that there so was you this thrive thing to on aim competition. For. Yeah, and my mother, you know, had always. I don't think my mother ever knew about the grade. She'd have been horrified if she had. Yeah. Um, but um, for me, it was just brilliant. Something to aim at. Yeah. Uh, you know, a way of, of being better. And you mentioned that you didn't particularly enjoy the company of the other girls. Did you sort of being in a boarding school? I'm guessing it's a single sex environment. Well, no, it was a, it was a mixed boarding school. Oh, okay. um, but there was a girl's wing and a boy's wing. Right. Um, there was a lovely moment in one of the Harry Potter books when um, Hermione has been in the habit of coming into the boys' dormitory and sort of plonking down on their beds and saying, you know, look what I've found. Um, and there's, there's an occasion when Harry and Ron suddenly realise that they really need to go and see Hermione. Um, and they start up the stairs to the girls' wing and the stairs turn into a helter-skelter and they shoot back down <laughs> again. And I thought, this is so like my school because my school, the, the girls' wing had a big door and a big bolt on the inside. Um, the boys' wing did not have have a bolt. It didn't actually have a door. The idea being, who wants to go to the boys' wing? <laughs> but you can completely understand how the boys might want to get into the girls' wing. 
Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack. A trip down memory lane with Britain's best-loved comedians. With Sky One. For those who like their shows bigger, brighter and bolder. Sounds like our first wave. Was there a point in your childhood where you realised that you were retaining all this information on yeah, so many different subjects? I used to, as I say, I, I freaked out my uh, school teacher by knowing, you know, chunks of Shakespeare. Um, and there wasn't really any opportunity to do quizzing at school. At university, I don't remember there being a quiz society, and if there had been, I probably wouldn't have had the nerve to actually um, join it. But... Um, I was the reserve on the University Challenge team in 1978, so um, that was exciting. I probably would have got onto the team if I'd had more confidence. But apart from that, I really didn't do that sort of thing. I mean, I, I thought, you know, that I was a smart ass in many ways, but I didn't really think quizzing as such was a thing one could do. I didn't really think of it. How wrong you were. I mean, I, I went on um, Mastermind in 1987 um, and did pretty well. Missed out on a place in the semi-final. What by was your special subject? Point. The life and career of Lorenz Hart, who was a songwriter, a lyricist. Before Rogers and Hammerstein, that Rogers was Rogers and Hart. And, Hart. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just absolutely, I find him absolutely fascinating. And that's where I got involved with the Mastermind Club, which is a sort of social club. They, they have a weekend once a year um, where there's sort of quite a lot of... Uh, it's not so much quizzing going on, it's mostly sort of sightseeing and, and, and going out for tours and being shown round places. Um, and there was always a big quiz in the evening where people... People who had got round got through two rounds of this very hard quiz um, called the Master Quiz. Um, the, the top nine would then go on to play the Magnum Quiz, and that was actually hosted by Magnus Magnuson himself, who would come to these weekends. And I remember in around about 2006 or so, saying to myself, just give it a go anyway. And I did it, and uh, in April 2007, I actually got through to the final nine of the Magnum. Amazing. Um, and I'd, I had had no idea until then that I could be any good at quizzing at all. But you still missed out on the Toby jug. Oh, yeah. I, in that particular case, I got about halfway through the final and was then knocked out. I do, however, remember, I literally, I took a question off Kevin Ashman and everyone had known you know for the last couple of decades this guy is the best quizzer in the world this is I mean this he, he'd been doing eggheads for four years but even before that everyone knew how good he was and I remember it was a question he couldn't answer it was what was the fashion chain for which Kate Middleton the as she was then uh, former girlfriend of Prince William um, used to be a buyer for and he didn't know and I picked up Jigsaw and I was so yes. proud of myself I got <laughs> I took a point off Kevin. I still talk about it because he is still, you know, he is still always the person to beat. And it's been so fascinating talking to you. I could stay here for hours. Unfortunately, um, that we, we don't have a provision for that. You know, the airwaves have got to make way for, for whatever songs they're going to play next. But before I go, if there's like one location from your childhood that you could revisit and just be there as it was then, you know, touch the same objects, look at the same books, smell the same smell, where would where would you travel back to? Oh, this is this is a house 
in a village near Darlington called Middleton St. George. Um, and it's the main street in Middleton St. George, and it's a house called Brackendale. And I have tried to look at it on Street View. It's probably, you know, got a number as well. And it's sort of like the main... It certainly isn't a hospital. Yeah, we'll um, get it up on the screen. The yeah. best we can manage is a very modern... Yeah, it's, it's not that. I think it still exists. Yeah. Uh, but it's the main street in Middleton St. George. Um, and as I say, I've looked at it and I think it's hidden by trees. But it's a house where a girl my mother worked with when they were both young social workers in Sussex in the late 1940s married this guy... Um, called uh, Dr. Fox and uh, he was the GP at this house and we used to go there for holidays Um, it was just a house I absolutely loved it was a sort of old Victorian house and I can remember my way around I can remember every room and I had no idea that Dr. Fox, uh, who I always called Uncle Christopher, I knew he was a bit sort of distant and remote. I had no idea that he had very much the same sort of problems as my Aunt Doreen. And um, one day, all I was told was that he had died and they were going to have to sell the house. And I didn't understand for a long time. Uh, And it turned out that he had actually taken an overdose, which I think must have meant that the life insurance wouldn't pay out. So they had to leave. So uh, I never got to go back to the house. Right. I just absolutely loved it. They had bicycles. You could go for a ride. There was a pony. It was a horrible pony. It kicked me in the stomach once. Um, I don't get on well with horses. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it was just, I, I just remember it being a lovely house. You could sneak out early in the morning uh, and it was all sort of cold and autumnal and a little bit rainy and you could borrow a bike and just ride round and round and round. It's fantastic. Anne Hegarty, thank you so much. Thank you. Only on Union Jack. You're listening to Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. And that's that, another trip down memory lane, this time with Anne Hegarty. And make sure you pop Union Jack Radio onto your presets. It's a really fantastic station, celebrating the best of British music and comedy. I'll be back in two weeks' time with footballing legend Peter Shilton. See you then. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. Catch up on previous episodes and Series 1 now. Download the podcast on iTunes or your usual podcast place.